media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You're seated this morning. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Last week we took a little bit of a of a break from that. Uh, just felt the need to, to preach on uh, just the comfort that Christ gives us in the midst of all the storms that we have in our lives. And so we jump back into Mark 13. Jeff started that two weeks ago, did a fantastic job of really laying a foundation. But uh, Mark 13 is one of the most debated chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, it's one of those that is filled not so much with theological controversy as it is with uh, interpretation because it deals with Jesus speaking right there before his crucifixion there within that Passion Week. Christ is talking to the disciples and they ask some pretty pointed questions. How do we know of your return? How, how do we know of the times and these signs that are coming? And so Jesus begins to speak and everything that Jesus spoke is true. And yet... <laughs> The controversy comes not in a theological interpretation as much as it is sometimes a practical or a timeline or a, a detail type of thing that we get get into. Uh, questions like, who is the Antichrist? And well, we know who the Antichrist is. Is the Antichrist alive today? You know, that's kind of an intriguing question. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of intrigued by that question. Things like, okay, will the Christian will Christians go through the tribulation period? There's one view that says, okay, we're going to be raptured up and we're going to be taken away. There's other people that say, no, we're going to go through half of it. Others that believe that maybe we're going to go through the whole tribulation. And you go, okay, no, I'm the right one. I'm, God's going to come. The horn's going to blow. Jesus is going to come get me and we're out of here. And I'm still, if my vote counts, that's the one I'm voting for, okay? And yet I took a class in seminary because I was kind of confused by all the end time stuff. And I said, you know, really before I go out there and just full-time pastor, I really kind of need to have my act together and uh, know all the answers to this. What is the one truth? And I came out of that class more confused than I went in because I began to find out that there's a lot of different views out there that really can find a biblical basis and that it's one of those things that I, I truly believe that God is holding a lot of these mysteries still in his hand. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But, uh, you know, do, do we know the day? Well, the text this morning is going to show us that we're not going to know the day. But can we know the season? You know, can we kind of figure out somewhat that the Christ's return is, is, is imminent? <clears throat> Questions like, can somebody be saved during the tribulation period? Let's say the rapture takes place or that it's mid-trib and then all of a sudden somebody's left behind, one of your loved ones. Can they come to faith in Jesus Christ during that time? A lot of really, really important questions, guys. Really important questions. And would you agree this morning that those are intriguing questions? That you're curious about those things? Would you like for a God to have written one chapter that had a question and then a two or three paragraph explanation to every one of those? in human terms that we could all understand. That really would be wonderful because there's a part of us that we just want to be informed, we want to know, and and for good reason, so that we can be prepared. And yet, when we open up the Bible and we look at things about the last days and the end times, sometimes we do leave that reading maybe with more questions and perhaps even more confusion than when we went in. What often causes the debates is how Jesus 
what to take his place is, is Jesus, um, kind of comes and he makes these passages and, and he uses Old Testament passages and prophecies and then he says some things and then we get to Revelation and so we kind of have three different texts that we're working with. The Old Testament and the prophets, people like Daniel, the words of Christ, and then some of the instructions that we get from Peter and Paul and some of the apostles in the New Testament, and then the revelation that was given to John in the book that we call Revelation. And you take those three and I believe that there is a coordination of all of those together, but it's pretty overwhelming. And so basically we've almost resorted to two approaches when it comes to knowledge and the mysteries of the end things and last days. One, many people believe that the Bible is a a, a coded book to be decoded. Okay, that if you just get everything lined up Accurately, and you know that slot A goes into slot B, and that it kind of lay, this lays upon that. This is where we place what Daniel said, and and here's how it kind of fits into what Christ then said, and and here's the part of the revelation and that serpent and this that, and that kind of all comes together. But that you almost need like the old decoder ring in order to do that. That all the clues are there if we just kind of put them together correctly. The problem comes in one person's correctness is not agreeable to somebody else as far as what they believe that this you know passage should be taken literally this one is symbolic this one is and it gets confusing let me give you an example not take 10 of pastors that i think much of our theologians or writers and authors that you that i respect take several that you respect 5 6 10 and start to make that list Okay, in your mind, hey, these are people that I believe that trust, uh, I trust them with the gospel. They seem to be very faithful to the text. Uh, I just, their life seems to line up with it. So in your mind, do this experiment sometime. Take five or six, eight or nine, ten different ones. Then take just a few of those questions that we asked. And go read what they have said about that. Almost like if you made a chart and said, okay, here's what, a Charles Stanley says, and here's what John Piper says, and here's what John MacArthur says, and here's what Bobby said. I don't think I'd make that list, but that's okay. You know that you have all these different things. And we begin to take these different end times and last days events, and folks, you're going to find that they vary in their interpretation of what's going to happen. And so that makes it kind of confusing for us because we're going, but these are the people that are supposed to decode it. These are supposed to be the people that are knowledgeable. They study the Bible all the time. They know Greek and Hebrew. They know all these things. They not only have been to seminary, they have taught in seminary. And so we expect them to have similar answers. And I think that if you actually did that experiment, you will find out that there's a great variety of interpretation. John MacArthur is going to be, now, this is my own kind of, I love John MacArthur. I read him. I really like, but, uh, John MacArthur, he knows he's exactly right in his interpretation. He comes across that just in his writing style. And yet there's other great theologians and modern preachers that said, now I see this a little bit differently. And so it makes for it very interesting fodder, but folks, it also causes a lot of confusion. So what do we do? 
Let me give you an example, okay? Let me just give you an example. Mark chapter 13, that's where we are. Go down to verse 14. Go down to verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, do you see that? Okay. Part of that, in parentheses, at least in the ESV verse, let the reader understand. How many of you would like to get up and share in five minutes, you have to keep to five minutes this morning, of your understanding of that passage? And what is meant by the abomination of desolation? Is this historical? Is this future? Is it both? What is it based on biblically? How many of y'all would like to volunteer this morning to kind of come and do that? I think that most of us, even though we may have an opinion on it and we may have read a little bit about it, how many of you would agree that that's somewhat confusing? Would you say that it's somewhat important? Jesus said it, so that makes it important. Okay, let me give you a clue. Anything that's written in red in your Bible, it's important. And we're going to see the importance of it even later on because we're going to see a warning that he gives not once, not twice, but three times in this passage. And remember what what we've said before. If you see something in the Bible once, it's important. If you see it twice, it's very, very important. If you see it three times, make sure you underline it and circle it because it's there for a reason. It's repeated for a reason. And we're going to see that, that there's a warning that Jesus gives us. Now remember... He just has days before the cross. He spent three years with the disciples and he's answering their question. That's the context of all of this. Jesus, tell us about the last days. Tell us about when your kingdom is going to come. Is that important question that the disciples were asking? Yes. This wasn't the question, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They were fighting among that themselves on that. But they asked a genuinely important question. And I believe that Jesus is going to give them a generally important answer. You begin to see this, and and is this an important question? Yes, because look at the last part of this. Then let those, he's talking about this time, let those in Judea flee to the mountains. Anytime that God says flee to the mountains, I, I want to know the details. Now, history will tell us that more than likely... Uh, this is based on Daniel 9.27. This whole thought of abomination of desolation is built on, uh, based on an Old Testament prophecy of Daniel 9.27. And some believe that it actually took place the first time about 200 years before Jesus came. In the year 167 B.C., there was this man by the name, a Greek ruler by the name of Antioch Epiphanes IV. He had that name. I don't know why there has to be a junior or a third, but he obviously was the fourth, okay? And he comes along and uh, he sets up an altar in the temple to Zeus and he sacrifices swine, pigs on it. Do you think that was kind of an affront to Jewish belief? Yeah. Was that an abomination of desolation? Yeah. And so a lot of historians and a lot of scholars say, okay, we look back and that's what Jesus was talking about. But Jesus also makes it sound like this was a past thing, but also 
maybe a future event that was going to come. And then we would look at the destruction of the temple in AD 70 that's going to come 40 years after Jesus goes. There's just all of a sudden we get all these, all this data and all these facts on, and it's kind of like my first day in calculus. Now, I love math. I love math. I always made straight A's in math without even trying, and then I sat in calculus, and I had to recalculate because they called that math, and I said, there's no math about this. It was a whole way of different thinking. And I looked at that book, and it might as well have been in a different language, because it was truly all Greek to me. <laughs> but then I began to understand, little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit, and can kind of put it together and be functional in it. But that's how we kind of get here. Is this event, again, we're just taking an example here, verse 14, this abomination of desolation, This that, okay, when this happens, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Is this literal or symbolic? Is this past or future? Will, will the church be there or is the church already gone? Is this abomination of desolation, is this the Antichrist or not? Do you, do you see how it gets really complex? It's kind of overwhelming. And are we right to want to know some answers here? I'm looking for some nods or something. You don't have to say, oh, I think so, because he said, flee to the mountains. I mean, it seems like this is going to be impactful to us, that there's direction, there's a command. When this happens, flee to the mountains. When God says to, to flee to the mountains, I, I think there's a purpose in that. And so all of a sudden, this isn't just some trivial kind of Bible knowledge. This is really, really important to us to know, okay, this did happen 2,000 years ago. And so it's a past event. Or is this a future event? And if this happens in our future, are we to flee from the mount to the mountains? Uh, because we don't live in Judea. We're, we're not, you know, are, are we? Not trying to be confusing, guys. Trying to be accurate and, and treat the Word of God in a way that will lead us to the table this morning in this Lord's Supper, so that we can understand and not all to have all the answers, but have a firm foundation that God allows mystery in our lives, and yet calls us to be a people of faith and peace. Does that seem contrary? to your brain to have questions without answers and yet peace of mind kind of flies in the whole thought process it doesn't seem logical no if I have more details if I know the answers then I can have peace of mind or would you one of the great questions that I've had over the years of of ministering to people when they find out that perhaps they have cancer or something like that and some people say, I don't want to know what the doctor says of how long I have. Others just say, I want them to be as accurate. I want them to give me all the information they can. Is there a right answer to that? No, it's a personal question. And some will find peace in knowing, oh, I've, he said six months to a year. Others will, will have peace of not knowing and living every day as they can to their fullest. And sometimes that's the approach that we take to the last days and the end times. Some people go, I'm just trusting God. I don't need to know the details. And others will say, I, I want to know as much as I can. And I don't know that one is right or one is wrong as long as we're responsive to the word of God in this. 
Because go down to verse 32. Let's see what I, I absolutely believe with all my heart that we cannot do. Mark 13, 32. In your Bible, is that written in red? If you have a, a red edition of it. Okay. So it's the words of... Okay, these are important words. Okay. <laughs> but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. My personal belief, guys, is that um, we cannot figure out a date because Jesus says nobody knows. And I don't think I'm going to be trumping what Jesus said here. I don't think that all of a sudden that we can get out of Dakota Reed, that we can spend the next 50 years in intense study and say January 14th of this year. I don't think it's possible. Now, the Bible does tell us that we can know the season. Okay, just like if we went outside today... We'd be able to go, it's still kind of warm. But you might be able to look at a few trees and see that the leaves are just now starting to turn to a red or a yellow or a brown. And you would not know, perhaps, that today is September 19th. But you're going, you know, I think that we're kind of in that autumn or fall season. Certainly you could do that in a winter season. You could do that in spring season as you saw different buds of flowers beginning to do that. And so we don't know the day, but we can know the season But now look at verse 33. This is really where I want us to kind of camp this morning. Be on your guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. He tells us first that, that he doesn't know, that the angels don't know, that only the Father knows. And then he gives us a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment based upon that of how we are to live our lives. In this mystery, in this question mark. And what is that commandment from Jesus? Be on your guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. We can't know the exact time, but we are to have a preparation and a readiness. Look back to verse 9. What's the first phrase that you see there in verse 9? Be on your guard. Go down to verse 23. What what phrase do you see there? Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. If the Bible says it once, take heed. If the Bible says something twice, really take heed. If it says three times and Jesus is the one that said it, Really listen. Listen with everything you have. But look what he said in verse 23. Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Well, Jesus, no, you haven't told us all things. Do you think that perhaps Jesus said, I have given you all things that you need to know in order to respond appropriately? Yeah. Question. Is it a relevant command for the day that we live in? Is this a command to you and I, September 19th, 2021. Be on the guard. Keep awake. This lays a foundation for me and my own personal end times belief. Uh, I've taken the classes. I've studied. I've read the people I respect. I've read the people that I don't respect. I've read all kinds of things because I really would like to be a pastor that if you had a question about last days and end times, that I could give you at least somewhat of a, not so much scholarly answer, but at least a biblical answer. And so I'm desirous of this. But folks, I, I 
don't believe that we can know the exact date. I do think that we can know the season and the times. And here's my other two things that I think we do know. We have been given a mission to accomplish until that date to arrives. That is that we're to spread the gospel and make disciples. And we are to live lives that are on guard with the teachings of God's word. Well, pastor, that seems a little bit simplistic and not very scholarly. Guilty as charged. It's not because I don't want to be scholarly. I've kind of given up the whole, man, let me fit this in a box. I've come to a place in my own spiritual walk as a pastor and as a personal believer that I'm okay with the mysteries of God. Not everybody likes that, especially you may not like that of your pastor. That may, this may be the last Sunday you ever come. <laughs> but I'm, that's where I am in my own life because I, I trust the Father. I want the details, but I trust the Father. When I do a wedding, the first thing I do with the wedding party is to gather them together uh, and, and we pray. But right after that, if we're going to have a wedding here, what I do is say, okay, I'm going to be standing here, and bride and groom, you're going to be here, and best man, maid of honor, you're going to be here, and everybody has a little piece of tape. And I give them that tape, and we get everybody set up, all the, the other party, all the you know people that are part of here, and bridesmaids and groomsmen, and they take that piece of tape, and they put it down. That's how we start. We start with the end. And then we go through the ceremony, we go out and we come in. Because when they come in, now they know where to go. I really believe that Christ in his beauty and majesty, wisdom, has done that for us. That we are to be listening. I want everybody in that wedding party to listen to the instructions. Okay, you come at this beat. You come on in this song. Okay, bride, you come in with your father at this time. Groom, we're already over here with the best man. I mean, we're going to give instructions. But they already know where we're going. Do you think that's an oversimplistic view of what the Bible tells us about the last days and the end times? That Christ tells us where we're going. And then he says, now be aware, listen to the commands, and I'll tell you each step of the way when it's important. Oversimplistic, maybe, but not simpleton. I really don't believe that's a simpleton's approach. A simpleton's approach is it's not important and I don't care. Simplistic could be very much, it's a mystery to us, but we have enough to act upon. One of the things that I firm, firmly believe about the Bible is that it is a mystery, but we have more than enough evidence, faith, instruction from God's word to act upon in obedience. That is not a mystery to me. And I don't believe that the Bible sets that up. I, I believe that we're told exactly what we are to be doing right now. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. I'm going to tell you where we're going to end up, and we're here. And when it's important, I'll let you know when to come in and when to do this. 
That's why those songs that we sing this morning, that God is sovereign over us. That's why we say, okay, he's the ancient of days. What, what a funny question to ask about holy God who created us. Do you trust him to be the alpha? Do you trust him to be the omega? Now, there's a logical answer to that. There's, a, there's a, a church answer to that. Yes. I don't know that anybody would say no. And yet, isn't that when this, kind of the friction happens in our lives? That even if we've been told, okay, this is where it ends up. But God, give me more details. My plans, one of the things that we read or sang this morning is from Jeremiah 29 11, you know, my plans are still to prosper. Uh, I think we lose the whole context of that because they were still going to be in captivity for generations there. Okay, so it wasn't going to be a fun time. They said, but, but go plant cities, build a home, invest in these people because this is where you are. Everything that they needed to know in order to keep on progressing with their lives, God gave them. But they all, he also gave them this over kind of this this abundant, I'm still working to prosper you for, for your growth, for my glory. That's still part of the picture, even though they were going to be in captivity for, for another generation. Believe me, I'm just as curious as anyone. When, look at verse 19 and see if this doesn't get you kind of curious. For in those days there will be such tribulation as, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Does that spark a little bit of interest when you start reading words about there's going to be tribulation unmatched by any other time in human history? Especially when you look in the Old Testament and you see that there was times that big old hell storms came, fireballs from heaven came and wiped out people and you see plagues and you see all these kind of things. I'm going, okay, this world has seen some tribulation, some destruction. And he says, the world will see a tribulation now unlike any other time before. I'm curious about that. Am I going to be here? Are you going to come get us, Lord? Do I have to experience some of this? Can I, can I lose my salvation? Can I, you know, deny you at that time? Because it just gets you a thousand questions. What I need more than details about events is to know the details of the nature of the one who holds those events. That is not simpleton. It may be simplistic, but it's not simpleton. No, that's childlike faith that is maturing as we walk with Christ and as we see that he is with us in the fire and the flood. All those things that we sing this morning, we begin to see, okay, God, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You have this. And that's where we can rest. Let's not be simpletons. When he says and commands, be on your guard, and it's not a suggestion. When he commands, be on your guard, not once, not twice, but three times. Be on your guard. Be awake. Read the word. Inform ourselves of what God has said. But when mystery comes up and all of a sudden we want details and and it seems like even five people that we trust have different views of those details. Let's come back and say, okay, can I find peace simply in the character of God who is sovereign over all these things, who is in command of all these things? 
part of our being on guard is examining the scriptures. Please do not go away this morning thinking that it is not important to read Revelation. It's the only book of the Bible that says there's a special blessing for reading that book. So we should read that book, okay? And it's not, it, we should look into these things. But don't be surprised if you end up with more questions than answers. That doesn't mean that God has left us in confusion. He's left us in knowing that Christ has finished the work. And somehow, some way, in God's way and God's timing, he will work all these things out for his glory and for our good. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. And I, I hate to, to take away from the... Uh, <laughs> the beauty of this and the worship experience, but I will tell you, because we are using these, you know, this prepackaged, uh, we're going to take the wafer that represents the body of Christ first. And you do have to do this little tab first. If you try to take it off and try to get just to the juice, you're going to get frustrated and you may even spill it all over your, yourself. So just kind of know that practical thing. Um, but I wanted to get that out of the way so that we can have already kind of have that in our mind so that when we enter into this very worshipful time that we can just focus on what God has called us to do. So I'm going to pray. Um, we're going to be led in music, and, and I'm going to ask uh, two of our elders to, to come and, and distribute. I do... Uh, this is for Christians. We're not trying to be mean. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we're not trying to be mean, but this is an act of worship for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. So our intention is not to offend, but we very much take seriously that this is something that God has called the bride of Christ, the body of Christ to do. And uh, so this morning, that that will be up to you. The Bible also says this before we take the, the Lord's Supper that we are to examine ourselves. And I think that's the importance of having the Lord's Supper today with this text as opposed to about four weeks from now when they actually have the Last Supper. We could easily do it then. But there's this examining, this, this okay, God, it seems like our world is falling apart. At the moment, instead of examining the world, the Bible says examine yourselves and, and come back to the simplicity of the gospel. Just come back to the gospel. Come back knowing that I am Alpha and Omega. That I hold everything in my sovereign hand. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, as we enter into this time of this act of worship, you have commanded us, Father, to continue to do this until your return. And so, Father, we just want to be obedient today. We, we just want to continue to do what you've told us to do. And we have a thousand questions, Father. Father, can we rest this morning in the answer of Jesus Christ? That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that, Father, you have brought salvation to us. Father, you have brought an eternity with you to us through his finished work. Father, we love you and we thank you as we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, 
you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.